Listen up. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed in this podcast belong solely to the podcast participants and not to any participants, employer, organization, committee, or other group or individual. This podcast is for entertainment purposes only. You know, for fun. So lighten up and enjoy. Stomping Jen. Yes. How you doing? You seem a little off today. I am a little off. It's been a while since we've recorded, so I'm a little rusty. <laughs> All right. Like a week. Are you going to be okay? I think I'll be okay. All right. I'll get, I'll get back in the groove. All right. Um, do you know who our guest is on the podcast this uh, week? I have an inkling. I'll tell you. But it's, tell me anyway. Yep. It's Odin Goldman. And um, Odin is the grand paper mancer and owner of Susurit Press. Susurit. Oh, I did it. It's Susurit Press. Susurit. Um, thank you. Um, an independent small press focused on custom book binding and small publications. Okay. They yep. do short run artist books, fanzines, literary fiction, nonfiction, also poetry. They do it all. All the things. Right. Um, Susurit Press also produces fan bindings for authors, illustrators, and um, readers who want personal copies of their works printed. Hmm. I have works. I know. I was just thinking that. I you have, have a, works. You have your poem. I have multitudes of works that I could consider <laughs> getting printed here. Oh. And um, Susurit Press. There you go. All right. And I just want to say in my defense stomping, Jen, I did not know... This word, yeah. susurrit. We should find um, out what it means after and, we talk to yeah, Odin. We'll find out. Um, but I just want to say, I, I feel I'm doing well now that I've said it successfully three Excellent. times. Okay? I congratulate you. All right, so I'm going to play the intro music, and then we're going to talk to Odin. Sounds great. All right. Creamy, delicious ideas without the creepy truck. Stomping Jen. You should sing Susurret Press. Susurret Press. I've said it again. Successfully. Now you'll never forget it. No. Hi, Odin. Hello. It's good to be here today. Yeah, thank you. Um, thank you for joining us. And I, I do apologize for mispronouncing the name of Susurit Press. And we had lots of conversation about this prior to starting our recording about how I was going to say it correctly. Um, and I told you that I had never heard that word, Susurit, uh, before um, we began corresponding and talking about having you on the podcast. So um, could you just Help us um, by way of um, understanding that word a little better. What does it mean? And uh, yeah, 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 absolutely. So susurit comes from the uh, comes from the word susuration or sus- just susurit, um, meaning it's the sound. Uh, it's an onomatopoeia. It's the sound that um, leaves make when they rustle together. 
And because I'm a bookbinder and books are made of leaves, both um, in this singular sense of the paper and also from trees, uh, it made sense to to name it after uh, the after the sound, since it's something that I hold very uh, dearly, very fondly. Um, also, my my favorite bookstore growing up was Talking Leaves, and all of these things just you know kind of fell in together in a good way, and that's where it came from. I love that, it. That's so interesting. Was there a particular moment uh, you knew that you wanted to name? this company that deals with paper and books and binding susurrate like was there an inspiration moment yeah i had been thinking really hard and long about what to name my company because at the time it was just like i'm making books i'm doing this thing i'm 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 publishing things but what do i sort of put it all under if i don't want to have it under my name um and i had so many bad names that just were not making sense and um, I found susurrit, just the, the word susurration. And I was like, I want, I think this is it. This makes sense. This is, this is it. And it's been a little bit questionable with marketing because it is such a funny weird, like people don't know the word. Um, but once they know it, it's a little bit memorable. So that's been good too. Um, but I'm, I'm very happy with it. So I'm, I'm glad to have it sort of as my representation. This is going to be a silly question, but are there particular kinds of leaves that make a particular kind of uh, susurration that you find particularly appealing or attractive? Oh, I mean, I do love um, like upstate forests in the fall, of course, when they're, you know, all um, sort of crunchy when the leaves are drying out, things like that, but not specific trees per se, I don't think. I have a favorite um, susurration. You do? Yes, I do. It is the birch tree. Um, And the sound um, in the fall when the wind is... We have a bunch of birch trees in our backyard. Yes, we do. (laughs) Um, They're black uh, black birches and silver birches. Um, When the wind like passes through them, they kind of like... They like almost shimmer... Um, and it is mm-hmm. the best, it is the best sound. Like I, I look forward, that's my favorite part of fall actually. I didn't know that about you. Yeah. It's, it's a hundred percent true. I love like sitting out on the deck and listening to you the like, wind pass through the birch trees. You like to sit out on the deck? Occasionally, not Who often. are you? <laughs> only after the, only after the mosquitoes are gone. Um, mm. so, um, I know I attempted to um, talk about what uh, Susurit Press does, Odin, um, but I want to give mm-hmm. you an opportunity to tell us maybe in in your own words, like who Susurit Press is and um, what what you want to do with the company. Yeah, so Susurit Press was kind of founded on the, the basis of, I have always loved books through my whole life, um, and I graduated in the middle of the like height of the pandemic, like right when things were happening, um, just starting, like I was the, yeah, we, we finished our semesters online. We had to do all of that. And, uh, suddenly there were no jobs. I, I mean, jobs were already hard to find. And then I was applying to things and getting emails back saying, you know, we're interested, but our city is shut down. So sorry. Um, and I said, okay, well, what am I going to do? I'm, I'm, I'm going to do something. And, um, it, it all started when my friend knit me a hat and, um, wouldn't let me pay for it. 
And so I said, can I make you a book? I'm, I'm learning how to, you know, make nicer books than I have before. Um, and they said yes. And I posted it online and everyone was like, I would like one now, please, actually. And uh, I just started making stuff from there. And it was sort of this wonderful combination of all of the different interests that I've always had. Um, and it's let me start publishing like other people's stuff. I um, did a did a publication of a literary magazine for a couple quarters and we're hoping to get back into it sometime soon um, called Rummagines. And that was a really great um, collaborative project and sort of all, all of Susurit Press is um, founded on like the hope for collaboration. Um, most of what I put out right now is just stuff that I'm making. I make, um, one zine a month minimally, um, and usually have like another piece of art to accompany stuff. Um, whether that is like a piece of writing or a print or, or something like that. Um, and so my real hope sort of one day is to be able to continue that and, um, publish more people's work more actively and be able to pay artists for their art and, and support them. Um, the way that like I've been able to start supporting myself with my work. Um, and I actually just finished the fourth revision of my of a novel recently. And so I'm hoping in the spring of 2023 to publish that under under Susurit Press and sort of just keep on building building from there. Congratulations on um, getting through a fourth draft of the novel. That's amazing. So you're almost there. Almost there. I, yeah. I have it submitted to a developmental editor for like sort of a final look over right now and have a professional copy edit in January. And are hopefully you, after that. Are you keeping under wraps right now what the, the novel is about? Or is that something you can share? Or yeah, are you waiting yeah. to are you I was gonna say maybe you're waiting to surprise the world with this. No, I can give at least sort of an overview. It's um it's about a crow who is the size of a boy, basically. Um, and they live in the woods and they were living with their best friend who rescued them when they were a little baby crow from a pond. Um, and their best friend passed, has recently passed away and this is their first adventure on their own. Uh, so it's a lot about like personal growth and learning to, um, accept love back into your life when you're in like a really vulnerable space um, where it feels like everything is sort of all is lost um, as well as sort of figuring out who you are. Um, so I've written it to be hopefully a middle grade young adult novel. Um, so I, I was writing it with a sort of a kid's perspective in mind, but I think one of the things that people really forget is how smart kids are. Yeah. Um, and so it's been, yeah, it's been a really wonderful process just figuring it out. And this most recent revision was like the most dramatic overhaul that I've done so far. Uh, and I really feel like it, it came out in its best shape so far. So I'm really excited with how it's, how it's coming together. And I actually just, um, I think that I've, I found my title today, actually. Ooh. I've been, I've been really uncertain for the, year or so that it's been in like hyper hyper focus time um and so i think that i'm going to be calling it um finding fernbow which is the fern fernbow is the the name of the forest that the crow lives in so i'm, I'm hopeful that that one will stick <laughs> oh, awesome that's great did that um did that name arrive to you just in a some kind of inspirational moment or 
Did you, had you been thinking about it a long time? Uh, it came up like yesterday in my head and I was like, this, yeah. this seems like it. And then it stuck and I, I was talking to my partner about it and that was sort of the first affirmation. And it seems like I just haven't had any ideas up until this point. And then that one hit and I think it'll, I think it'll stay. Well, that, that's exciting. We'll look, we'll look forward to it. And, um, well, hopefully, if you're willing, have you back on when you release it. I'd love to talk more about that. It's, it sounds like a wonderful idea. Um, I want to rewind a little bit back to what mm-hmm. you were saying before, how you had um, been kind of playing around with um, making your own books and binding. Like, how did you how did you get into that as um, a passion or a hobby, whatever you want to call it? Yeah. So as a kid, I, uh, always made like little pamphlet books that were just like stapled or sewn with two holes in the center. Um, or when I got to high school, I started making zines where it was just a single sheet with the sort of the center cut out and fold it all together. Um, and then, uh, right when I was graduating, I started getting into like finer bindings. I did a big project on artist books. Um, so I did a lot of research about different binding methods and different ways that books come together and how they've come together over the years. Um, and started doing these, these finer bindings. I learned a lot from, uh, Peg and all on Instagram. She was just this like incredible resource that started posting tutorials of how to do things. And, um, I kind of learned a lot of my foundations from her and, uh, I just loved it and it, I like took to it very quickly, which I was very thankful for. And I think that like a lot of the experience that I had as a kid doing these motions led me into it really well. Um, but it was also really wonderful to watch the, the progression of my books from just doing stuff without any covers on it. That's just like the paper, um, sewn together on the outside with multiple, layers um to like these fine leather bindings with gold leaf gilding and things like that yeah is there something is there anything in particular that attracts you to uh, paper like as a medium as opposed to other you know forms of artistic expression is there something about paper yeah i think that paper has always been very grounding it keeps me sort of very present in myself it's hard to um, you know, disassociate when you are tangibly working with something. I, I've always loved sort of all of the um, print print making and then things like that that make you focus on the actual thing that you are putting your effort into. So like the paper that is taking the the impressions that you're working with or the, that you're folding it into a shape that you want. Um, and also, you know, the familiarity of it as a kid who would fall asleep with books in their bed and just, just having that. Yeah. It's so interesting. You mentioned um, zines a couple of times and I am a, I am a, a child of the eighties and Mm -hmm. um, a a, a teen of the nineties. And I remember zines. Zines. Do you remember zines stomping Jen? I thought, I thought the internet had killed the zine Odin. And when I went on your website to, you know, to, do some research and learn more about what you're doing. I was, I was surprised to see zine there. So mm-hmm. I was very excited that you you do zines because it made me feel like, um, say zines again, <clears throat> zine, but it made me feel like, um, you know, maybe, um, that, that will live on the zine. You know, I used to go to, um, 
uh, Newberry Comics, mm-hmm. and they had a whole like zine section. So I love this. Yeah. I love that you're you're making zines. Yeah, I um, it's it's one of my favorite things. I I do it at least once a month. I do like one big sort of finalized zine. Um, you can get it via my Patreon. It's like it's one of my tiers. You get zine of the month club kind of thing. Um, and, but I feel like zines have definitely, I don't even know if it's a resurgence, but like they have really come back around, um, in like 20, 2018, 2019, I think I went to the Brooklyn comic arts, um, festival and it was, I had to like walk out of the building a couple of times just to refresh myself and sort of ground myself back into things, but just the sheer number of tables that all had little zines that they, they cobbled together, like zines about making zines, zines about what zines are for people. Um, I mainly make fan zines myself or like poetry zines mm-hmm. um, because it's sort of my most immediate medium, the thing that I'm most immediately drawn to. But um, it's, it's really incredible. A lot of the local comic book stores that are, a little bit more niche um, tend to have zine sections now again uh, that are, they're coming back. It's really nice to see. Yeah. It's, it's interesting. Like I feel like zines were in a way like a, um, a democratization of the, the uh, printed medium. Like people could do it themselves and they didn't have to, you know, pass through the gatekeepers of the big publishers. It's almost like, um, the, like the podcasting um, movement of the last couple of years, you know, uh, people, you know, finally, like the technology caught up to people's uh, needs to want to like express themselves, and they didn't have to deal with the like the big radio gatekeepers mm-hmm. anymore. So I was just kind of thinking about that, and it's like a lovely, it's a, it's such like a lovely thing to do to like um, provide that kind of. Um, access to people who who might want to put together like a little thing and put it out there in the world you know where they otherwise you know if we went to a, a big publisher they'd laugh at them or something you know I, I, I love that aspect of it do you ever think about that yeah absolutely I actually um, teach a class on zines occasionally oh. um, and it's one of the the first things that that I go over is like the history of zines and where it came from and I'm in New York State right in the capital region by Albany, where we actually have the um, whole fact sheet five collection, which is this huge, huge collection of zines. Like the fact sheet five was a a collection of every zine that could be documented pretty much. Um, And that whole collection is at the New York state library. Um, And I've gotten to spend a couple days in there just going through everything. And it's, it's so incredible. And because zines are such a low cost production, I am able to produce them really fast. I can produce them for other people at like little to no cost to myself. The the only thing I really have to pay for is paper. Um, And it's such a great uh, community component. I've connected with so many people online through zine swaps where we just like, you know, trade an address and you get sent zines and you send zines to someone else. And uh, I, I really try to emphasize like, use your copier at work. Like this is what it was founded on. You can do these things without paying for them at all. If you're, if you're in the right place, you know? Um, yeah. I mean, just, yeah. it's so funny. It's funny that you say that. Um, my very first professional job out of college, I'm going to confess this now. 
I printed on my workplace copy machine. Like at night, I went in there and made like 50 copies of this um, like 40 page little book I made. I probably, <laughs> I probably, sh- that's probably a terrible thing to confess, but, but no, I'm, I, I'm, I'm confessing it in solidarity with you, Odin. Thank you. Yeah. I was going to say, cause I've done the same. Yeah. Um, you know, I, when I started Suserit, I invested in a printer that could print like an absurd, like thousands of pages on one cartridge that, and you pour the ink directly into the machine. So it's very stressful to load up, but I've had to load up once in the two and a half years that I've had the printer. Um, and I print regularly, so it's been pretty great, but like, there's nothing like a industrial printer, you know, Mm. I can't print that fast at home. Right. I can just go there and get them all out, you know? Yeah, for those of you listening, this was in 1998. Oh my god! Okay, so I think the statute of limitations have passed. So don't come after me, please. I covet a large industrial printer. Do you? Yeah, I could see you printing some stuff. So, Odin, when you have a a project, someone comes to you and says, "I, you know, I have this zine or a small book I want printed," or maybe it's your own project. How do you start this process of deciding, okay, which paper am I going to pick? Like, how do you pick the paper? Like, and is that a, is that a complicated process or is that a complicated thing to have to start with? Like, I'm very curious about that. Yeah, it, it can be. Um, And it is like a really important decision um, I print a lot of my zines on a heavier paper than traditionally done. And that's because I sell, I like market them as art zines. So I like them to be a little bit, um, heftier, but there's nothing like a, like a printer paper zine that just folds together really easily because of its, uh, thickness. Um, but the, the main thing that you decide is sort of what kind of project you're looking at, um, and how, how it's all going to come together. So if I'm doing a really big book project, the the first thing I like to look at is what color paper we want to be using. Like if we want to use a bright white or if we want to use a cream or something like that. And um, if it's an illustrated book, how it's going to come together with that kind of thing. I just printed a book with, um, it was nearly, nearly 900 pages oh my um, with I think like 17 full color illustrations. And um, we did it on pink paper. And it was incredible. Wow. It was, it was the most wonderful thing. Yeah. And it was a, yeah, the, the book was made with purple leather. So the the pink like combined really beautifully into all of that. This must've, this must've been like a custom book, right? Is that like a, like, is that like a one-off like project somebody brings to you and is like, "I, I want this, this book printed, help me figure this out. Yeah, we actually worked together on that project for almost a year um, because there I did all the formatting for them. Um, so they sent me all of the words. They ended up having a revision part of the way through, so I reformatted it. Um, they got a couple extra illustrations in a time when I was like off of production, and so I wasn't working on it as much, so we reformatted it again. Um, and then there was a paper shortage, so we weren't able to like get supplies for a while. Um, but we, we worked together like one-on-one really closely for the whole time. And, um, because it's such a massive project, it's quite expensive. So it's like we make one and that's it. 
Um, but it was such a, such a wonderful, it's so, it's so wonderful to work one-on-one with the people that the things are going to, because so much love and care gets put into it from both parties. It's just a, a great experience. Yeah. It sounds like a really special project. Um, and I just want to like, I want to reflect a little bit on the, the quality of paper. Like it's something you notice, like I'm holding this cheap, yeah. like this cheap printer paper in my hand right now. It's like, eh, okay. But like when you like when you hold or feel like really like heavy, nice mm-hmm. paper, it's like very sensual in a way. You're like you stop and you're like, wow, this is different. This feels different to me, right? Like have you ever yeah. had that sensation, stomping Jen? Of noticing the quality of paper. Yes, I'm just fucking with you. Okay, I apologize. You're, leaving, <laughs> you're leaving me hanging out here. Like it was intentional. Like I'm, I'm a pa- like I'm a paper creeper. Um, <clears throat> but th- th- like that is something I've like definitely noticed before. It's like you really stop and you're like, wow. Oh yeah. There's something different about this. Yeah. This is a nice piece of paper. Yeah. yeah. Do you have a um? Do you have like a favorite? kind of paper you work with um and and i'm like i'm interested like i guess maybe all right help me out here paper is made Mm -hmm. from uh plants right like Mm -hmm. trees or or other things like hemp maybe like Mm -hmm. so is there mulberry mulberry for real Mm -hmm. yeah is that that's a bush right Mm -hmm. i had no idea um yeah is there something unique about that kind of paper it's um there are multiple kinds of it the kind that i most frequently work with is called lotka paper or uh, lotka um, l-o-t-k-a and it is a super fibrous paper and it can be dyed a lot of different ways Um, it's used for decorative end pages a lot of the time um but it's it's really wonderful it's one of the like more traditional types because it's really easy to beat the pulp of um so it's it's a that's one of the the go tos for me. And will you? But when it comes to like, I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh no, I was no, I was going to ask, would you print a whole book on that mulberry? No, no. Okay. Usually, you just use it for a decorative part. So you use it either for the cover design or um, for the end pages. But um, I, I, you know, I love Mohawk Paper, which is the company, but they're local, so you you know you kind of have to love them. Um, and they also make very, very fine, good quality paper, and you can get pretty much any color that you could ever dream of from them, which is wonderful. They've done that. I get all of the papers for my big projects from Mohawk. So I would, I would recommend them with my whole heart. <laughs> That's awesome. Were you going to say something? Oh, okay. I thought you were going to, uh, I was talking stomping Jen there. Um, so, okay. So you've picked your paper. Uh, for a project, um, let's say we've got some some mulberry for the nice decorative um, pages, um, some other some other kind of regular nicer paper for the for the rest of the book. How do you begin thinking about binding a book? Right, that that is putting it all together, right? So that it um, so it stay all the pages stay in order, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. how how does binding work? Tell talk to us about the process of binding yeah so the the process of binding works on um sort of it's what's called a signet it's a signature that you get when you fold papers together um and i guess i call it a signature system when you have a stack of them um that's your book and um 
you you have to choose what binding method you want to approach it with. Um, there is like a traditional Japanese st- stab binding, it's called, where you don't use signatures, you just use the sheets flat and you bind through the spine um, or you bind through a chunk of the spine that lays flat. So you lose some of the space that um, that opens the book because you are, you're binding over that paper. Um, but traditionally, when I'm doing a, a standard book, it's going to be like a Coptic stitch or a kettle stitch, which um, basically produces lines up the side of the spine where um, all of the pages are, are sewn through through. Does this mean you actually use like a needle and you manually thread the pages together? Oh yeah. Yep. That's amazing to me. And the paper doesn't like tear? No, if you are only using one sheet, it can tear if you mm-hmm. aren't careful. Um, I just actually, when I printed my manuscript, I like bound it all together for myself so that I could have a physical copy. Oh, look, there um, it is. Odin is holding up a <laughs> manuscript in there. There, it looks like it is binded with um, thread of some kind. Yep. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I didn't realize it, but the last signature was just a single page. Um and so I had to be super careful when I was binding it because, uh, if I didn't, if I wasn't super careful, I would just tear through it. Okay. Um, and so, and a big part of binding is getting the tension right on your thread. So you have to just like be very patient and move very slow when you're using just like a sheet at a time. Cause some, some books are bound one sheet at a time, but usually a signature has four sheets of paper, which makes 16 pages because of the way it's folded together. Um, so, so it's a bit more durable when you're actually sewing through it. Okay. And so that holds, that holds all the pages together. And is now, um, there's an aspect of taking those, those pages, uh, stomping Jen, um, and putting them between a cover, right? Is that yeah. part, is that part of binding too? Like, or is that mm-hmm. something, is that a different, is that called something different? No, it's all part of the binding process. Um, There are a couple different ways of attaching covers. You can do a full binding, which has a spine, which is what you would see, what what most books are. Um, But I can also do like open spine books, which I often do with my more decorative bindings. Like um, there's a French link where there are X's across the bindings that are really pretty. Um, It's kind of like a weaving project that way. Um, and you want that to be shown off. And so you'll actually sew the covers on. So they're, they're attached, um, they're attached with the binding. Whereas usually when you're attaching a cover, um, that isn't sewn on, you're using your glue with the end pages to adhere it down to the, to the book itself. Do you have a preferred like approach and is there a big different, how do I ask this? Like, if somebody came to you and said, I, I want you to spare no expense, give me what you, you know, Odin, what you think is, is the, the product, the book that's going to last the longest. I want my, you know, my great, 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 great grandkids to have this. Like, would you, would you do like, would you sew the cover on? Would you glue it on? Would you do both? Like, what is, what's. Um, I would, so I would do a full sort of leather binding for something like that um and i would probably do it with bands that are sewn in so when you see a leather book that has like bits of the spine that are raised 
that is done by when you are sewing the book together, actually sewing a cord into the spine of the book. Um, and when you are attaching that to the cover, you brush out the ends of the cording that goes through it. So it lays flat. Um, and you actually weave that through the spine before gluing on the actual leather cover. So you kind of end up with a, a bit of a gluing and um, woven situation. So it's not exactly sewing it on, but you are weaving it through. It's attached in multiple places. This is so fascinating to me. Um, and you can do all of this by hand, right? You don't need machines yes. to do this. No. Yeah. You do it all by hand. The one thing, I mean, you still are doing it by hand. There are just like tools that make things yeah. easier. Um, so like when you're sewing on bands, there are machines that, that will hold the, the cords when you are sewing, but I use the back of my kitchen chair because it's <laughs> what I have. Um, the one tool that I've invested in was my friend built me a book press so that I could actually use a cinch rather than using a bunch of heavy books to press my books when what, I was done. What does a book press do? What, like, what is its function? Is it, is that for putting the cover on or is that something else? You can, use, I use it at, during every step of my process, pretty much. Huh. Um, it, it just holds the book really tight. So it's like a special kind of clamp that won't damage your book, basically. Oh, that's so interesting. I love yeah. this. I love this. There's this um, this feeling of you're preserving this ancient craft, right? Like I sometimes complain and worry about how by putting, you know, books in digital format and I don't know if they're books that are only produced in digital format now like you know we're one like um EMP attack away from losing our history right or parts of our mm -hmm. history and like do you ever think about how you're like tapped into this ancient tradition and how you're potentially the person who's going to help um document the apocalypse <laughs> i mean in yeah yeah honestly yeah it's kind of a i feel very very grateful every day that i get to wake up and work on this and do this and continue sort of refining my craft with it because it is such a sacred art to me and books are so sacred to me it's 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 very very um fulfilling for sure for me for me to be able to do it and yeah yeah and, and i think about i mean i think about the the reverence and sacredness we have for certain um, paper documents right you can find them in the halls of our government you can find them in our religious institutions you can you know you can find them everywhere right like mm -hmm. and there there's yeah there's just something Something so human, uh, you know, particularly human about the need to to put stuff down, you know, on paper and keep it. And um, in terms of keeping it, do you have to think about that when you're picking the paper? Like, okay, this is a certain type of paper mm -hmm. that's going to last 100 years. I'm assuming you don't put, you know, like the zines or whatever on that kind of paper. But like, talk to us a little bit about that element of it. Yeah, for sure. Any any book that I'm making, I um, am making 
in an archival sort of format. So every component that I'm using should last a lifetime at least. Um, and that means making sure that you're not using materials that are acidic that you don't aren't like familiar with. So it's using pH neutral things for the like for the cover, for the paper, for the thread, um, for the glue especially. That there are special like book binding glues. If you're not using wheat paste, um, which I don't use, it just dries too fast for my taste. And also I'm I can't have gluten, so I don't keep wheat in the house. Um, but uh, there's just yeah, every every component has to be archival so that it won't um, it won't age basically. Um, and you and you know you you coat the thread with beeswax, and so I have a chunk of beeswax that I use every every day when I'm coating the thread, and it's just all of these different components that um, come together to make this thing that will last forever, hopefully. Um, and I actually did an archival project today, a, a restoration. Um, someone came to me with a, their grandmother's copy of like the collected works of Shakespeare. And she had accidentally dropped it. Um, and the cover had completely fallen off and the, the front signatures were falling out and the paper was like so thin, but it has all of her grandma's notes in it and everything like that. So, um, you know, I had to, to make sure everything that I was using would match up and that it would all last and, uh, binding it back together. And it was just, it's, it's very cool to, to, to make sure that all of your supplies are, are doing the, the jobs that they need to be doing as well. Yeah. So you're, you're an artist, you're a technician. I mean, you have to find a blend of all of that and, and mm -hmm. kind of figure it out. That's amazing. I just want to pause um, and tell tell our listeners um, that you can find um, all of the links to um, Odin's stuff in our show notes. Okay, um, and you know, pause this and go look at some of the books and other things on um, Odin's website. We'll be talking about those, but there's a um, there's a link to um, Odin's link tree. We have a link to um, Suserit Press, um, Odin's Instagram, um, and so and um, and Odin's Patreon. Odin mentioned that, so go check that out. And you know, if you like what you see, become a uh, become a Patreon. You get you know you can get lots of cool perks that way. So, anyways, um, you know, pause this for a second. Go check go check that out and and come back to the rest of this. But um, um, Odin, I, I was noticing when I was um looking through your website, you do gilding work too, right? On the covers. And mm -hmm. again, I, I don't know anything about this stuff. Uh, gilding, is that the process of taking like, um, gold leaf or some other kind of material and applying it to a cover? Like what is gilding? Yeah, you got it. That's oh, okay. what it is. You just described it. <laughs> you knew something. I knew something, Stomping Jen. Okay. Oh. Set the sounds down. Do it again. Oh, celebrate oh, me again. You need, you need more praise. Is that what you're yes, saying? Yes. Always celebrate me. Thank you. Um, so, uh, how do you, is that a hard thing to do? And is that just is that just another element as a bookmaker that you you said to yourself, "All right, I've got to learn gilding. Here we go." Like, yeah, it is 
the hardest thing, I think, maybe the second hardest thing, because I think the hardest thing for me is still sewing on end bands. So if you ever look at a book and you see the colorful things that are at the top of the pages, um, those are called end bands. Uh, And usually they're glued on, like they're pre-woven with a machine and then glued on. But for all of my books, I sew them directly into the book using like a leather cord as the base. And so, and that's the hardest thing that I do, I think. Um, But gilding is its own process and really requires definitely like the most environmental control of all of the stuff that I do. Like I live with a cat and he can't be in the room when I'm gilding because if I breathe wrong, I can mess it all up, you know? Um, And also it's like, definitely the most expensive component of what I'm doing because usually I'm working with, you know, leaf that is of a, of a precious metal. Yeah. It's gold. Um, and I only have so much to work with. Yeah. yeah. You can also get like silver leaf and things like that, but yeah, you're, you're working with gold and it is, it is gold. Um, mm-hmm. So it's like the, the fans have to be off. The window has to be closed. Everything has to be in its right place. Um and I've even taken to wearing my face masks sometimes when I'm doing it so that I don't breathe wrong. Right. Um, because I've had moments where I've exhaled a little bit too sharply and everything just went flying. Um, and that was a good learning experience as well. But, yeah. If I'm recalling correctly, the times I've seen people applying like gold leaf to stuff, they're, they're, <clears throat> they're using tweezers and they're, you know, looking through like some kind of mic, you know, like, lens and it it looks like very hard precise work all right but yeah so people if 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 you if you have a book project and you're thinking about gilding um odin is the person to talk to all right so um odin as you're gaining experience with this um um paper and book binding and um you know, you're you're continuing to move the work of um, Suceret Press along. What unexpected things have you learned kind of along the way? What Have there been big surprises for you? Um, there, I think that the biggest thing that I've been learning is a, I, I've been learning about myself and my own personal boundaries and things like that and, and how long it takes for me to do things both um, physically and administratively. Um, and and the biggest thing I think is is being realistic with myself about things that I can do and, and knowing when to say no because it is just me doing pretty much all of this, um, and so you know I don't have the resources that a full print shop might have, um, and I I don't have anyone else who's working with me that I can say I, like I need you to take care of this today, um, so it's definitely been. Uh, a big, a big learning curve for myself that um, I started doing in college because so much of what I was doing through my, through most of my education um, was self-directed, but it's definitely been a lot about just learning what I can do and when I need to say no. Um, And, and also just making sure to, I think the other thing is like the biggest surprise is learning how, much of a genuine connection you can foster with people through through something like a book that they just want for themselves or for their family or as a gift. Yeah, I mean to the uh, to the latter point, I can imagine, um, like you described to us, somebody's bringing you this this precious like book mm-hmm. that was their grandmother's and had their grandmother's writing in it. That's a 
that's a heavy responsibility and one that you probably can feel kind of the emotional weight of that project, you know? And then, Mm -hmm. I don't know, I don't want to speak for you, but I would imagine you get in, you know, kind of invested in, in, in the client's passion and, you know, you kind of, maybe, I don't know, do you internalize some of that and it becomes important to you too. And you, like you said, you make that connection. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I definitely do. And like the more invested someone is in the project that I'm doing, the, the more I feel it, you know, it's so, it's so clear to me when someone cares a lot about what they're doing. And also a lot of the time they wouldn't be coming to me if they didn't care a lot about what we're doing. Um, but I, I definitely build so much of my energy off of the energy that people are bringing to the projects that they, they want to work with me on. Uh, and so, so I definitely take that, take that in a lot. I, my favorite thing is when I get to see that in fan binding. So someone writes a fan fiction and they want a personal copy of it. Um, and that was one of my biggest projects to begin with. Actually, um, you can see it. It's like on the front page of my website. It's a Lord of the Rings fan fiction. Um, and it was like 400 pages with like 47 illustrations because it was this incredible graphic novelist artist molly ostertag um it was a dream to work on this project with her i had been dreaming of it for months because i had been following her twitter where she was posting updates for this project uh and then she finished it and said can anyone bind this and i replied to the tweet and said i very specifically have been wanting to ask you if i could do this project can i do this and um, she responded to me and said yes and took me on for it and you know I I cried the day I got that uh-huh. commission because I was just so overwhelmed with like the excitement that she had for it and like this artist who I look up to so much you know it's just such an incredible process of getting to to work with these people who are so excited about their work yeah I love that and I also like what you said before that too about like being able to know what the boundaries are so you don't um, take on too much or run yourself ragged because you got such a meaningful project. Like it's that like learning, learning how to do the work as a professional too. Right. Then that's, mm-hmm. <laughs> that's never easy. <laughs> I don't think. Yeah. Um, Cause like, of course you want to take on all of the projects, but yeah. you can't always do that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> So if somebody if somebody's listening to this or you know and, and they want to have a book commission done what do they do they just send you an email contact you on Instagram contact you through the website how do, how does that process work Yeah you can do any of those things there is a contact form on my website where you can submit um a request and that'll go right to my email and I'll respond from there you can also send me a direct message on Instagram that's a really easy way of getting in touch with me my um, DMs should be open, so you're able to just slide right in. Um, on Twitter, I think they're also open, but sometimes they get lost, so I don't want to. Uh, I would definitely recommend the other two methods first, but yeah, you can you can get in touch with me directly those ways. All right, awesome. Um, now, <clears throat> Odin, I also noticed you designed a game um that's on your website um called it's called the moth queen of west hill i mean tell us a little bit about this game and also why did you why did you take on such a project why did you want to design a game yeah so um 
through college, actually, all of my best friends and still my best friends were game design majors. Um, so I got really involved with game things through there. Plus, I've always been a big fan of games, both video games and like tabletop games. I played all through um, high school and middle school and whatnot. Um, but the Moth Queen of West Hill is actually a mystery that I designed for the game uh, Monster of the Week, which is built on the um, Apocalypse Now gaming tabletop gaming system. So it uses um, six-sided die, two six-sided dice, and um, usually a, a couple players with one person who's leading the adventure. So it's like Dungeons and Dragons, but a little bit different mechanically, <clears throat> but still built on collaborative storytelling. Um, and I had been really wanting to publish an adventure because I run D&D games professionally, actually. So that's what? just another... Yeah, it's really cool. Um, I run like private games for people who want to have like sessions with their friends. And I also run um, games at some of our local cafes and things like that. Um, so you can come and play, play D&D, learn how to play D&D and get into it. That's um, amazing. But I, writing a Dungeons and Dragons adventure to publish is a little bit hard because there are so many things that you have to account for. And there's like so much specific information that goes into, uh, into a, a session. Whereas for monster of the week, the way that you write your mysteries, which is the equivalent of an adventure in Dungeons and Dragons is that you provide a location, a monster and like all of the people that this location could host so it gives you much more of a checklist to work through. Um, and so I had a pantry moth infestation in my house <laughs> and um, I was kind of freaking out about it. And I thought, what what a better way to get over this fear than to uh, turn it into a real monster that I can defeat. Um, yeah, I just so, having grown up yeah. in a house that was infested with uh, pantry moths. Those are real monsters. I just want to um, empathize with you. <sighs> Yeah, the other day I was putting out traps and they swarmed me and I, you know, had a, had a moment where I was like, wow, I did a great job with this monster design because this is what it feels like. Yeah. Like I got it. Um but I really wanted to make an adventure that like people could play easily if they knew the system or if they had access to the system because it's definitely a system that you can learn while you're playing. Um and I and I really love Monster of the Week as a as a system because it rewards failure in a way that other game systems don't do as much. Um, so you learn from your mistakes, basically. Your and that is reflected mechanically. Um, and so uh, it, it was a really I I loved putting together Moth Queen of West Hill, and I'm really excited. I have another one that I'm working on. I'm going to start working on in August with a good friend. Um, and that one is actually going to have a whole lot more, um, illustration components than this one did. So that's very exciting as well. Is that something, yeah. is the Moth Queen of West Hill something that's for sale through your website or was that just a one-off like type of project? Yeah, it's for sale. Okay. Um, you can, you can get it as a digital download, um, or you can order a actual physical copy, which comes with like a printed cover that I hand stamped and stuff like that. Cool. Um, I was, I was also, I was reading through your website and, and I was struck by this description you had, um, 
of yourself as being an artist who focuses on how physical spaces and memory play into our worldly experiences. And I just wanted to ask you like what that meant to you as an artist and how you how you play with those ideas as an artist either through bookbinding or maybe in another space. Yeah, so that originally came from this big project that I did a couple years ago called The Arcades. Um, you can see the videos for that on my YouTube. But originally, it was set up in a room where I had two big projectors projecting onto a window and a wall. Um, and it, it was a big meditation piece on how um, images and memories can be adapted into into your own sort of experience. So if you are experiencing it, um, it becomes yours in a way. Um, and that of course transfers over to all of the work that I do now and that I, I view the, I view books as very bodily and of the body and of the home. Um, and so every time I make a book, I am sort of basing it off of my own body and experience of the body and how that's growing and, and changing along the way. Um, but yeah, that, that definitely comes from sort of my fascination with memory and um, how video and different, different experiences that we have every day sort of play into the way that we experience the world now. Is, I wanted to ask you this earlier, is making, making a book and putting together a book and working on it like a very physical experience? Like, do you, are you tired? at the end of the day, is it a day long thing? And you're like, talk to us a little bit about like the, the physical aspect and like, is there, is there stuff you have to do to, you know, make sure you're, you know, in the right shape to be able to do this kind of work? Like, I'm really curious about that aspect of the, of your craft. Yeah. I actually, um, wasn't able to do full days of bookbinding for quite a while because I have like a severe shoulder issue, um, so there was a lot of time where I was like quite literally disabled and unable to work um, because I couldn't make the motions that I needed to do. Or if I did, it would like put me into severe pain and things like that. So um, especially with your hands as well, because you're dealing with a, a literal needle and thread um, and just going through things. I think that anyone who is able-bodied, pretty much anyone could could do book binding if they want to, but when you're doing it on like a um, bigger scale, you definitely want to be putting in all of those sort of self-care practices that you put in for other art forms, um, making sure that you're stretching and moving around. I try to keep my um, my increments into like two hours with, with a break after that. I try not to go longer than that um, because you can get really hunched over very easily. Uh, you can just really sort of mess up your upper body because you're hunched over a project for too long. So I try to, I usually base it on podcast episodes or um, <laughs> yeah. like uh, episodes of, you know, my, an audio book and chapters like that. So I try to break it up based on things that I'm doing so that I don't spend too much time in one position. Is it, um, is, it, because, e is yeah. it easy to drop into like a flow state when you're doing this work and lose track of time? And yes. Yeah. So, so easy. Um, I remember, especially during like 
the winter holidays. I, I tend to get a lot of orders then. It's wonderful, but I will constantly have projects that I'm working on. And I, I, I have done eight hour days of just straight through like one book after the next, just binding and letting things sit and going to the next part of it. And, um, it's, it is really meditative in a way, but you also have to make sure that you're listening to your body so that you're not, uh, doing anything irreparable when you're, when you're in that state. Yeah. Um, any, are you work, any new projects that you, you, I know you just told us about that, um, new game adventure you're working on, but anything else, um, you talked to us about your novel, um, anything else that you're working on that you wanted to mention that people could look forward to? I think that my novel is the biggest thing. That's like definitely the thing that I am most uh, heart heart set on. Um, and, you know, yeah, I think that that and my, any, any publications that I'm putting out, you'll see it on social media and things like that. I'm, I make something every month at least. So it's always, it's always good to keep an eye out for that, but definitely my novel um, hopefully in the spring of next year is the, is the thing to keep your eyes peeled for. Is that make something every month, like a, a goal you set for yourselves just to like keep the creative, um, gates open? Like, okay, I'm going to, this is, I have to, you know, once a month I'm going to put, you know, like for me, it's like, I, I need to put a, I do one podcast a week. You know, mm-hmm. that's, I just, that's what I've decided I'm going to do. And so I was just curious about that. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, it is both, I, it is a goal that I set for myself that I put a deadline on by making it a part of my Patreon. Um, Uh so I have to do it by the end of the month. And if I don't do it by the end of the month, then what are people paying for? Uh, And that is a very good motivator for me because I'm very afraid of (laughs) disappointing people, um, (laughs) when it's financially like dependent. Um, but it, it, it has been such a wonderful thing for me because I've seen my growth since I started doing it. Like, and it, it has become easier to do every month, you know, nice. it's, I get my ideas and things go from there. And also I love having a backlog of projects, you know, whatever they are, it's, it's wonderful to be able to look back and say, Oh, this is where I was this month last year. Um, and this is what I was doing. So I, I love having my, I love having my assignments, things that I know I need to do. Cool. Um, we mentioned we mentioned a couple of times um, your website, which um, uh, people can find in the show notes. Um, uh, and you have a shop on on your website. Mm-hmm. Like, what kind of stuff um, can people find in there, and if they were interested in um, buying some stuff from you? Yeah, you will mainly find my zines, and any um, game publications will be up there. Um, I'm also hoping to start listing uh, my ready-made books because I have a lot of those at the moment, but I, I took them all down recently because I'm doing a couple shows this summer and I want to keep the stock flexible um, overall. But you can find a couple of those pre-made books up there. Um, and I've also started making a lot more jewelry. So I have like book huh. earrings that you can get that are fully functional. They're just tiny books that you can wear on your ears. Oh, that's cute. Um, <laughs> I've also started making sets with pens so you can have a pen in one ear and a, and a book in the other. Um, so it's sort of multi multifunctional. So those are some, those are some of the things that you can find up there. I love it. I love it. Um, where do you, where, 
And you may not know the answer to this, but where do you want uh, Suceret Press to evolve? Like, where do you, where do you think it's going? Uh, my dream is to continue doing what I'm doing now, but then also get to a point where I'm able to publish other people's like novels. I would love to be able to publish full length works of other people um, and get them sort of the money they deserve, the the work and admiration that they deserve, the the praise that praise that someone who writes a novel should get in my opinion i i would really love to be a small small press publishing house i, I would like to to make that happen i love it i love it more, i think more more books in the world is a good thing right stomping jen absolutely <laughs> you read yeah. on a kindle this is all that keeps going I, through my I, mind so odin and i, I hate i hate i know i I've been afraid to say this to you, um, and, and it, it, this is going to be a confession. Stomping Jen said it. I read everything on a Kindle, and the other day, I was talking to somebody. Uh, a topic I'm really interested in is UFOs. Okay, don't judge me, please. Um, and some, I was telling somebody I read this really great book about it, and it, and then I thought to myself, I can't lend it to you because I'm not giving you my Kindle. That's not happening. That's my Kindle, mm-hmm. <laughs> but. This is the problem. I just don't understand how you read books on a Kindle. I know. Anyways. I mean, lots of people do it. I don't behoove these people either. I just like, I like having a book in my hands. I know. I feel like they, you're going to be mad at me. I feel like they take up a lot of room. That's well, you all. don't like having things. I know. You don't like things. I like things. I'm a collector. All right. Well, I, I, I am genuinely happy you're filling the world up with books, Odin, and I I, I hope I hope you're able to put more of them out into the world. Um, and like, get my book on your Kindle when it comes out. I don't care. Yeah. I use a Kindle, you know? Oh, yeah. okay. Well, I don't feel so guilty then. I still have more books than I have space for. But uh, I do think that e-readers have their place, especially accessibility-wise, because yeah. it is not not possible for everyone to hold a book and or anything like there there have been times in my life where it wasn't possible for me to and i'm like pretty healthy overall um so i think that there is a lot of power and also when you travel it's great to have you know that they they have their place that's a good point thank you um i appreciate that (laughs) all right before we move to our last two questions um is there anything else you wanted to to tell us or make sure that we talked about no, you know, I think we did a, a really good job. I think we covered everything. Awesome. All right, thanks. Okay, our last two questions, and these may or may not be related to books. I don't know. It's really, it will depend on how you answer them. Um, so when you're not working on um, Suceret Press, um, what do you like to do for fun? What, what are those things you like to do for um, that bring you joy, help you reconnect uh, with yourself? Um, I love reading and I love playing video games. I've been so deep into Skyrim for the past um, long time. Uh, I don't even have a a date range on that, but that has been one of the most sort of uh, centering things that I've had lately, which is funny because it's, it's a video game. So it feels, it feels funny to say that that is so centering, but uh, I love running around in my little made-up world. Yeah. Um, do you play on the PC? Is, do you play on the PC or do you play on a console? I play on the Switch, actually. Oh, cool. Because I don't have a PC right now. But the Switch works better than the PS3 that I originally 
played it on. So nice. I can't complain. Yeah. Um, and then uh, I also have a, a weekly D&D game that I don't run. I, I just get to play in. And that is my favorite thing of all time right now. My, my DM is so wonderful. The, the game master who runs the whole thing. Um, and everyone who I play with is just like the light of my life star just gems in the sky you know um it is it is such a wonderful wonderful space to to play in and get to to run around in your fantasy land it's just like a very grounding experience to be with other people as well especially after so long of not being able to be inside with others getting to do that every week is just wonderful yeah i, I totally feel you i have a weekly um video game group that i'm part of and we you know, how long have we been doing this? Like 15, 16 a years, time. a long time. Like, and it, it, and some, some of these folks are people I went to nursery school with and wow. every week we meet up online and just, you know, play our video games for a few hours. It's so wonderful. It is such a great experience. Um, okay. Our last question, mm-hmm. Odin, I promise. Um, uh, mm-hmm. so what have you experienced that you can't explain? So this could be a paranormal thing. It could be anything else. Anything pop into mind? Oh, I mean, I've definitely had ghost experiences for sure that I can't explain because they're ghosts in multiple spaces. I I went ghost hunting when I was in seventh grade Mm. Um, and we had a, we had a really active experience on that trip. But even since then, I lived in a funeral home before my current house experience um my my last apartment was in an old funeral home and it was almost 100 haunted um like i feel like i woke up in the middle of the night once and had a figure across the room you know not a not a bad figure but just uh there was there are presences around and i i think that there is something to be said for uh energy that can't be explained because because where is it gonna go Mm -hmm. you know I think that there's there's a lot to say for uh, for for ghostly activity. Thank you. I love that. Um, yeah. And I'll remind our listeners that I do see shadow people occasionally. So <laughs> I see shadow yep. people. All right. Um, Odin Goldman, uh, thank you so much for joining us and talking to us about book binding, about um, gaming, about games that you've designed, about um, all the things. Printing, all of the stuff that you're doing. A novel. Yeah, I learned all a, the things. I learned a lot. And I'm really um, inspired by your passion for this. Um, I love it. I love talking to artists. Um, about what they do. About what they do. That's right. You said it all, Stomping Jen. There you go. Um, I'm your wrap-up bitch right yeah. now. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. Um, I didn't know I needed one, but <laughs> I appreciate it. I'm, I'm here to help. I'm here to help. Um, but no, seriously, thank you so much. Um, I really, really appreciated talking to you. Um, so now we're going to say to our listeners, Stomping Jen. Yes, listeners. Um, if you're coming to us for the first time because... Um, you know Odin and you really wanted to listen to this conversation, we're just going to ask you to subscribe to our podcast, okay? Download our episodes and... um, Share with a friend. We have lots of amazing guests like Odin on the show. And I'm going to tell you something. 
We've got over 200 episodes out there, okay? You can dig into our back catalog. Yep. And if you're interested in being on the show, please contact us and we'll find out. All right, fine. You can go to our website, softserpodcast.com. You can fill out our contact form, okay? And I will evaluate these submissions. And if if I am interested in speaking with you, Stomping Jen, yeah, then I will. We will reach out. Excellent. That's not how it works. Stomping Jen just yells at me and says, "Get in contact with that person. Get them on the show." That's right. <laughs> that's so what really happens. I like to pretend that I'm doing gatekeeping, but that's not the case. Um, all right, friends. All right, listeners. Uh, what <laughs> else? Um, if you like our show, tell a friend about us. Okay. If you're if you're entertained, spread the word. Um, we're here to entertain the masses. What else? Anything else? Oh gosh, I don't know. No, we're good. No. All right. No, no. we're going to say goodbye. Yeah. Thanks for listening. Okay. And um, Odin, this is where we just go around and we say goodbye to people in whatever way we want to do that. So um, we will give you the honor of going first. Oh, well, thank you so much for having me and thank you for listening. And uh, yeah, if you're in the if you're in the capital region of New York State, can I can I promote a radio yeah, show? Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, tune into tune into ninety one point five for for WRPI, the Upstate Underground. It was my my radio station for a long time, and this is a, a nice place to sort of pull back to that. So listen listen on your radio in the car. Just listen to radio also in addition to podcasts. <laughs> All right, stomping, you. stomping Jen here loves the radio. I do love the Always radio. Always listening to it. Um, Big th- fan. Thanks, Odin. Stomping Jen, yes. your, your goodbye, please. Bye now. All right, folks. Um, take care. Um, I'm going to say it this week. I am feeling some love this week, so I will say that we love you. And, um, well, you know, bye now. This world of ours, ever growing smaller, must avoid becoming a community of dreadful fear and hate. Those who have freedom will understand also its heavy responsibility. That all who are insensitive to the needs of others will learn charity. And that the sources, scourges of poverty, disease, and ignorance will be made disappear from the earth. And that in the goodness of time, All peoples will come to live together in a peace guaranteed by the binding force of mutual respect and love. I shall never cease to do what little I can to help the world advance along that road. 